You're listening to the Million Praying Moms podcast, where we believe every mom is uniquely designed by God for his purpose, but also a part of something much bigger than she could ever be alone. Authors and moms, Erin Mooring and Brooke McLaughlin. Hey, that's us. Hey, it is. We're going to help you make prayer your first and best response to the challenges of parenting. Listen in on real life conversations with the experts about real issues parents face today and learn practical ways to focus on Christ as you seek wisdom and hope for the difficult job of raising children in today's world. If you're ready to handle life with grace because you've been in the presence of God, you're in the right place. Here are your hosts, teachers, writers, speakers, moms, and lovers of all things cozy, comfortable, and coffee-related, Brooke and Erin. Hey there, friends. You're listening to episode number 18 of the Million Praying Moms podcast, where each week we're talking about the real issues Christian parents face today and equipping you to make prayer your first and best response to the challenges of parenting. If you haven't already, we would so appreciate your support in leaving a review of our show on iTunes. These help other people find the Million Praying Moms podcast, and really they encourage us to keep going as well. So just click review, select ratings and reviews, and write a review, and then let us know what you love about the podcast. Thanks in advance. We love your reviews. They're so encouraging to us. And when you leave one, you might just hear us read it out loud here on the podcast. We love to read them and we love to be able to share your hearts for the podcast live. So for example, Kiwi Slice 11, how cool is that name? (laughs) Kiwi Slice 11 said, I'm so thankful for this down to earth, extremely practical and relevant podcast. Kiwi Slice, you just really nailed what we're trying to do in this podcast. So thank you so much. Um, She says, for moms who love Jesus and want to raise our kids in a way that pleases him, um, Kiwi Slice 11, thank you so much. That review means the world to us. So if you're listening right now, be like Kiwi Slice 11 and take just a few minutes to go leave your review right away and then listen for us to read it on air. Yeah, that's a fun name. It makes me wonder, does she like Kiwi? Is she from Australia? (laughs) Lots of questions. I love Kiwi. (laughs) uh, Yeah, very fun. So before we jump into today's interview, we wanted to make sure you have your copy of Everyday Prayers for Back to School. Yes, okay, we know most of our online family has already gone back to school, but there are some stragglers out there who still go back after Labor Day, like I used to when I was a kid, or others who are starting late for various reasons. So It's important for you to know that this free resource is still available. Yes, we went back to school after Labor Day, too. And I just have to say, it doesn't make sense to me to go back in August, especially not here, maybe in other parts of the world. But it's stinking hot in August. I would rather them go through like June when it's not as hot and go back after Labor Day. But who am I to make those kind of decisions, right? I don't know. Run I have, for school board. Yes. <laughs> I, yes. Run <laughs> for school board. That's great. <laughs> I have really, just speaking of the whole back to school prayers, I've really fallen in love with this concept that we created in these This one in particular, of course, covers the everyday moments that come with going back to school. But if you guys love it the way we think you might, we may make it a part of a bigger series. It's designed specifically to help you pray throughout those important but often overlooked parts of your day. So, for example, in this resource, we give you prayers for things like deciding on curriculum if you homeschool or that first big game or meeting new friends or even just fitting in. Really great 
things to pray for yourself and over your children. Yeah. And the hustle and bustle of life can make those normal events become rushed and sometimes even frustrating. And I've been there, (laughs) believe me, a lot. And when this happens, opportunities to invite God into our daily lives are lost. And this book of prayers was created with a goal to help you and me and Brooke (laughs) take the opportunity to speak with God in those everyday moments that are all too easy to overlook. So basically helping you start a pattern of communicating with God all the time. It's pretty cool. It is. It's very cool. I love the idea of just pausing. You know, we think about things like praying in the morning before we start our day or praying in the evening as we end our day. And we've given you prayers for those inside of this resource, which is great. But sometimes we forget that we can stop and talk to our creator about what's going on in our lives anytime we want to, and that it's a fantastic example for our children to begin incorporating the thought of their creator, the thought of God into everything they do. So we're super excited about it. You can download this free resource today by heading to our show notes at millionprayingmoms.com or going straight to www.praythewordjournal.com forward slash back to school. Okay, Erin, let's go ahead and dive into today's topic, one that I know a lot of moms out there are going to be interested in. In fact, if you have more than one child, which is probably most of you, you really need to hear today's podcast. As you guys know, my children were born just 23 months apart. To say that we've struggled with things like sibling rivalry or even just helping them value each other and their relationship is something of an understatement. Um, yes. Okay. So I have three. We have the first two are two years apart and then numbers two and three are almost four years apart, but it's very interesting dynamic. And I never can tell who's going to get along on any given day. (laughs) And especially as we're recording this and summer is winding down, it could be all three of them not getting along (laughs) on any given day. And sometimes with boys, I think they might actually kill each other with how they do that. And then all of a sudden, five minutes later, they're playing a game together, which is totally the opposite of how my sister and I were. I don't know about any of you that have daughters and that are, you know, sisters, but my sister and I held grudges for forever. Like you stole that shirt out of my closet. I am mad at you for a month. And we are not talking. And like, we still discuss these things to this day. My boys, I think they might kill each other. And five minutes later, they're on the trampoline having fun together. But they're trying to kill me in the process with their fighting. So I need this topic today. Yes. I'm so excited to talk about it. I need it in our home too. And I'm very excited about it. My brother, and I have one brother, and he is five years older than me. And so in some ways, we lived almost completely separate lives. I mean, we were always very close. We're still close. But he had his own group of friends. I had my own group of friends. He was out of high school before I even started high school. Like, And I think my parents were so good about teaching him to be protective of me that if he had hurt me in any way, they probably would have wiped the floor with him. But like, it just, it was the, the culture of our home was you protect your, you know, your, your younger sister, but it's hard. It's really hard to help those children, uh, help our children learn to interact with each other in a healthy way. And I would dare say that, that, parents listening right now might rank it as the number one issue in their home. I don't know if you agree with that, Erin. I completely agree. In fact, I've been talking to several moms in the area and 
well, far and wide, but specifically in my neighborhood, because we're chatting about these things that feel like a referee all the time. <laughs> like, I'm tired of refereeing fights all the time. I want them to, you know, be supportive, be encouraging. And you know what? The reality of it is that living in close proximity with each other is going to stir up a lot of things anyways, and no home's going to be perfect in that. But I'm excited to hear what Kim has to say. Yeah, absolutely. We, we have a house full of sinners, and that causes problems anywhere you go. So, Amen. amen. <laughs> Our guest today is someone we've wanted to have on the show for quite a while. Kim Sorgis is the mastermind behind the popular blog, Not Consumed. She's the author of many books and resources for families, which go beyond educational choice. Kim is a homeschooler, but her books are for everybody and reach the heart, including one that we want to talk about or touch on a little bit today called My Brother keeper, learning to love your siblings God's way. That sounds absolutely fantastic and exactly what we want in our homes, right? You can learn more about uh, that particular book and any of Kim's resources in our show notes. So it's because of that, that I feel like Kim really understands our need to reach our children's hearts before we reach their behaviors, before their behaviors will change, that we've invited her to speak on the topic of promoting peace between siblings. So Kim, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your family. Okay, so we live in South Carolina. I have four kids. You um, have already mentioned I am a homeschooler, and I am a single mom. I became a single mom when my youngest child was um, just days old. So they are, um, my oldest is 15 and 14, and those two are girls. They are polar opposites. So we'll get to that dynamic in a little bit. And then I have two boys who are 12 and 9. And they are not quite so opposite, but one particular thing that they have going on is my youngest has um, walked through having a brain tumor. And he was already the baby anyway, and we all know about babies. <laughs> so at combined baby and um, having doctors and nurses tell you that you're the king of the world. And we've had some very interesting sibling dynamics in our home. So um, we'll, I'm excited to share about all of those. That is a lot. That's a lot of sibling dynamics going on there, especially I'm just imagining my sister and I are not like a ton different, but we are about three years apart. And I'm just picturing if we were um, a year apart, and polar opposites and what kind of fireworks could have been going on there. Oh my so. goodness, you guys, I'm laughing because anybody that knows me and my brother know that we are absolutely and completely polar opposites. Like we have the, we look a little bit alike, but like there's nothing you like people have said to us, are you sure you were raised in the same home? <laughs> <laughs> We're completely different. So I get both dynamics and my children are completely different as well. I often joke and say, they do have one thing in common, their address. <laughs> Literally, My kids don't even look alike. One's blonde, one's brunette, one's blue-eyed, one's brown-eyed. I mean, we're talking polar opposites. Introvert, extrovert, rule follower, strong-willed, the whole thing. Like, there's nothing alike. Well, so I would say that that is part of your story. And, like, what led you, led you to work on this kind of project and in your home? Tell us about how this idea for the book that you were writing and this resource came about. 
Okay, well, so I'll tell you, my sibling journey started because I have my own siblings, of course. <laughs> so um, uh, my sister's three years younger than me, and we grew up in a single mom household. And I, I always joke and say, well, actually, it's not a joke, it's true. She chased me around with knives. That was our, that was our growing up dynamic. <laughs> oh I hope there are no kids listening. Um, <laughs> I like to give them ideas, right? <laughs> Um, but honestly, that's where I first knew the sibling relationship needed a lot of work, right? And then um, I have a master's degree in education, taught in public school for about 10 years. And while I was there, I think I started seeing, wow, like, these kids hate their siblings. Like, they hate their siblings. And all they want to do is get away from them. And they just, they have nothing good to say. There was very little, like, awesomeness that was going on. And I thought, well, you know. This is going to need some work. And then, of course, I had two kids 13 months apart. And that was where the most fun came in <laughs> because, as we've already discussed, they, it, went, it didn't take I mean, literally months before I realized how different my kids were. Just, I mean, in diapers, you could tell how different they were. And I thought, oh, boy, this is going to be fun. <laughs> well, and it's interesting that you say that because – you know, you, you've got me beat. Your kids were 13 months apart. Mine are 23 months apart. But there is an element of challenge, I think, that comes with having your kids really close together that way. Sometimes they can become the best of friends or sometimes they do tend to have like that polar opposite kind of thing. Like, I don't know if you relate to this, but my husband and I really struggled with having them that close together. And I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but we actually have friends who would tell you that they watched us struggle with our kids and intentionally decided to put more space between their own kids because they watched how hard it was for us in the beginning. So I think, you know, I, I can't speak to people that have, I mean, apart from my own experience, I, you know, with my brother being five years older than me, I, I don't know what that's like. I don't know what that dynamic is like in the home with, with being a parent, but I do know that having kids close together can make it more challenging. Well, I'm here to tell you that I have the two years apart and then I have almost four years apart and it doesn't seem to make a difference. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I've seen that that's true. You know, I, I like to say that, that that closeness really does make a difference. But in the end, you know, as siblings are siblings, they're going to fight period. Like that's just kind of part of it. In fact, I usually tell people that I like to think of sibling relationships and family dynamics as a big game of bumper cars. You know, you get in there, you're, you're all reared up and ready to drive. Everybody has an agenda, whatever that is. Everybody has their own level of experience and we're all living in each other's space. And you know that it's going to end up with a bunch of bumping, <laughs> a bunch of friction and some conflict and contact. <laughs> It's just part of it. Like we can't deny that it's part of it. Really, the question isn't, you know, will it happen? It's okay. What are we going to do with it? What are we going to, you know, how are we going to solve these problems? And how are we going to teach our kids to drive safely? You know, that's a great analogy. It really is. I mean, I think I think back to the verse in the Bible that says, "In this world, you will have trouble." Right? Like it's a promise. We're gonna have trouble. And when you put a group of little sinners together there are going to be some explosions and some sparks every once in a while. And for that matter, it could be difficult for us as parents as well. Like some of their friction can cause friction for us as well. And we have to remember that we're the adults and that we have to be the ones to teach them. So 
I like that you said, you know, everybody comes into it with their own agenda. And I think that leads us nicely to the next question, which is, is centering on the heart issue behind what's happening in the game of bumper cars in our car, right? So um, I mentioned, you know, when I was introducing you that I, I really like that you talk about that some and that this is, and I believe it is a heart issue and not just a behavior issue. I really think that, you know, that's not just true of sibling relationships, but it's true of anything that we deal with, any, any kind of issue in our life. It's not just a behavior issue. It starts in the heart. So I thought it would be great for us to spend a few minutes talking about, um, you know, what I like to call the Ezekiel 36, 26 issue, which is God taking a heart of stone and turning it into a heart of flesh. So what if, um, what if we talk for a minute about some of the heart issues that you've seen in your children that maybe extend into all children? What are the heart issues that we need to be addressing in order to make lasting positive changes in the way that our kids interact with each other? So the big one, which really covers it all, is selfishness. I think that, I mean, as Christians, period, that's our number one problem. We are so selfish. It's like, I need it my way. I need it the, the way that I want it, as fast as I want it. You know, we think of ourselves, we think of our rights, and I, my, you know, I need my me time. All of that stuff is selfish. It's, it's self-serving. And, and we're all like that at the core of almost every problem, especially when it comes to siblings in your home, you're going to see that selfishness coming up. And so that's the thing that I work on with anything else. And, you know, when we, we practice verses and different things, like that's the number one thing we have to always be working on, which of course is going to impact all of our relationships, even our, our spousal relationships. It, it's that's at the core of it. It's that selfish behavior <laughs> and just that desire to like, you know, this is about me and I need this and I want this where I deserve this, you know, and we're not, and I love that you point out that we're not immune to that as Christians. Like it, it's a, it's an everybody thing. Like there, we always have that thing tugging at us that it's like, we want to know that our needs are being met and that what we want to do is being done. And when we are questioning why our kids are fighting with that, it should be easy to be like, oh yeah, I, I want what I want too. And that's exactly where they're coming from. So like that is really the key heart issue. And that's the important starting point is to recognize that selfishness is really at the heart of most of those sibling conflicts, but knowing how to address them can be a totally different story, right? <laughs> I mean, we are here talking to you because we need advice and strategies. So let's give our audience some strategies here, some practical, usable tips for how they can begin to make changes in their home and really help their kids um, overcome that self selfishness to deepen or restore a relationship with a sibling. All right. Yes. This is the exciting part. <laughs> this yes. is we love strategies. <laughs> we love practical, right? I mean, come on. We, it's like, we know what the problem is. What do we do about it? All right. So the first thing is, um, you need to be setting the tone in your home for your kids. And this is something that we fail and fall down on. Uh, every time as parents. So it's something we need to keep in our minds because we are supposed to be building up 
our kids. We, uh, we tell our children that they need to build each other up. You know, we, we shout out this stuff to them and we give them the verse and we write it down and we're like, now remember, what does Ephesians 4.32 say, right? But then what do we do to our kids? We criticize them. Sit down, stop doing that. Don't pick your nose. You know, uh, don't touch your brother. Put your feet on the floor. You know, all the time, that's all we do. We just pick, 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 pick. That's what we, we're supposed to train our kids. Like, this is our job. The problem is we've got to have more building up than we do tearing down of our kids. Like, if we're picking on all the little things about them, and we need to be, we need to be correcting them and fixing them. I not fixing them, but <laughs> we need to be correcting them and working with them for sure. We don't want to just let them do whatever. But if we're constantly always doing the correcting and we're never building up, all our kids have is those words. So it's no wonder those are the words that they're using. Don't you hear those same words coming out of your kid's mouth at each other? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> because that's really what do. you're modeling. So that's the first thing, and that's a hard one. And I, I recommend to parents – that you keep a prayer journal. In your prayer journal, you keep a column of each of your kids' names. You just write down every day things that you can say to build them up, especially if you have a child who's your polar opposite or, like, kind of rubs you the wrong way sometimes because those are the kids you tend to pick on more, and you need a lot of things fresh in your mind when you walk out of your bedroom in the morning and you're ready to go to say positive, nice things to help build up your kids so they have that example. That's so good. You know, years ago, I I wrote this program called Fight Like a Boy Mom, and it was for moms of what I like to call hard-to-handle boys or those boys, you know, like the ones that are 250% boy that are constantly bouncing off the walls. Like, I have two of those, and, and they're extremely energetic. And as I was writing that program, it occurred to me there were there were things, goals that I set in my home because my boys, we did, it was a, it felt like at least in that season and sometimes today, if I'm honest, it felt like it was a constant struggle all day long, just like you're describing with some, you know, kicking and screaming mixed in as well. And so I made it a goal of mine um, to go to bed, making sure that they knew that I loved them. I would say to them, there's nothing you could ever do that would make me stop loving you. Like it was my goal to love them harder than they fought me. And that wasn't always easy. It was not always an easy thing to do, but it was my goal to try and do that. And I'm glad you said that because I think we all need that reminder that our kids, yes, it is our job to correct and to train and things like that. But gosh, if we just get stuck there, it's no wonder we have relationship problems because who likes to be corrected all day long? So I'm really glad you shared that. So taking that a step further, um, we also want to make sure we're celebrating those differences and accomplishments, which I think is another, just another tweak in that area that we're not quite getting, um, especially academically, like we kind of hold that up as some amazing thing. And we really praise our kids there and we, or we might just really praise them for something they did in sports or whatever. But then we miss some of the little things. Like I love how you held the door open for that lady when we walked into the grocery store and stuff like that. So we want to just be careful that we're not, um, praising, you know, most of us, are fully aware that we need to not compare our kids, right? But we accidentally do it by overpraising certain things that certain kids are good at. And we just want to be really careful with that. And um, like that focus on character, like 
praising, you know, character rather than accomplishments, which could cause that friction and, and comparison amongst themselves. Yes. Not everybody's good at spelling and it's totally cool. Yep. <laughs> we can but, all be holding the door open and loving people. And exactly. I'm just thinking of how loud I get sometimes when one of my children does something really great on the baseball field or, you know, like I can be sometimes one of those moms. that's like, you know, screaming really happy, really loud. But what if I did that when they opened a door for someone, you know, like that's such a, I, I think that might be looked down on socially, but <laughs> there's a right time and, and, and a not right time for that. But, um, you know, just to, to look at it from that perspective about how excited we get when they have an accomplishment versus, you know, on, on the football field or, or, you know, in the choir or whatever, and extending that beyond, just what they're doing to perform into genuine things that we see them doing that are great character attributes for them. I've told my kids that one of the things I'm most proud of is not when a teacher says, oh, they're really smart at this, but when a teacher says they're a really good friend or a really nice person or they're recognized for leading by example or things like that because that tells me way more about who they're going to be growing up and who they're going to be as citizens in this world and representing Jesus than a test score does. And so getting an email that says, we want your son to be an ambassador on the first day of school to greet students because we know that he's a good example. Like that almost means more or it does, it does mean more than they were honored for a high test score or something, because that's something that he chose to do that he, he made a right choice about who he wants to be and who, you know, who he is on a daily basis. And those are the things we need to be looking for. And they're harder to pick out sometimes because we just expect it of them. But you're right in the fact that if we praise that, that's the kind of people they want to be more. Definitely. So one practical way that we do that is we have a person of the day every day at the dinner table. So each one of our kids has a, each one of my kids has a day and we just kind of go around and order. And during the dinner, um, popcorn style, we are to say, you know, build them up to celebrate their anything that's happened since the last time we celebrated them. And just everybody just continues to say kind things to that one person. We kind of focus on them. We pray specifically for them, you know, during dinner and stuff like that. And it just sort of um, reminds them that this is the way that we're supposed to be talking to each other. You know, don't get legalistic about it. If you say we kind of do it every night and then you start failing, it's not going to happen. But as often as possible, it should be your goal. <laughs> Just do something like that. You know, okay, well, we're going to do it today. And by the way, super mom tip, set your phone to remind you to do that at dinner. That's how I remember life. <laughs> I'm a I'm big fan of phone alarms. Yep. Yes. yes. I set my alarm. We, this is something we actually do as a, as a movement is we set our alarms to 412 every day. It's based on Hebrews 412, which talks about how the word of God is living and active. It's kind of one of our core verses and it's why we choose to pray the word of God. But if you set your alarm to 412 every day, regardless of what time zone you're in, it's a great reminder to stop and pray. So yes, we are big proponents of setting the alarm because who can do life without alarms? I mean, I can't remember anything. So it's a great way to do it. Definitely. Okay. So let's get to some um, things that you can do when trouble comes. 
So uh, the, I think the most important thing that we need to do when our kids are in a squabble is to use logical consequences and avoid both arbitrary consequences and negative ones. So let me talk about what both of those are. So an arbitrary consequence would be you and your brother just punched each other, so now you, um, I'm going to take away your iPad for a month. That's arbitrary. It like doesn't really mean anything to them. It's not related to what just happened. It's just sort of like you just threw something out there. Um, when you use that kind of consequence, it usually creates um, a, the children think, well, I don't really know what I did wrong or how I can fix this. And so we don't. We want to be really careful about that. And the second one is negative. So a lot of times if our kids are fighting, one of the first things we'll do is, you know, go to your own rooms. Or um, another favorite is, what? Are you going to wear the same T-shirt until you like each other? Or, you know, something like that in a very you know, negative sense. Um, first of all, they want to be away from each other. That's why they're behaving that way. Um, so you've just, like, given them what they wanted. We don't want to do that. We want to be very intentional, and we want to be very positive. So let's say your kids are sitting at the table, and they're going back and forth with unkind words. I know that would never happen in your home, right? <laughs> never. Never had that happen here. Can't relate at all. <laughs> so, this happened in my home, and... I, um, so here's what I did. I took my phone because I love my phone and it has all kinds of good things on it. I set it down in between the boys. I set a timer for five minutes and I said, um, since you don't know how to say kind things to each other, we're going to practice. So for the next five minutes, I want you to say kind things to each other. And if you stop during, before the timer goes off, I'll start it again. And now you know that it started off with crazy things. In fact, the first one was, I like your dog. The second one was, I like your mom. <laughs> this is hysterical. <laughs> the third one, just for boy moms, I like your boogers. <laughs> that was great. So perfect. Anyway, they eventually got to good things. They eventually started saying kind things. And so instead of just, you know, creating that negative sense, I told them, okay, you are in control of this situation. You can change whether or not you get into trouble by doing the right thing. And here is the right thing. And I showed them specifically what that was. So that's, I think, the, the golden ticket to consequences when it comes to sibling relationships that we usually don't take the time to do. You know, we're usually like, does everybody go to your room and you're going to be in trouble for this or whatever, which totally I get it because I'm a mom. <laughs> like, um, so once again, use your phone and write down, like brainstorm these things when your kids aren't having a squabble. Put them in your notes app so that when there is a problem, you'll have a resource where you can say, okay, this is what I'm going to do if they do this. This is what I'm going to do if they do that. Because you know the same things come up over and over and over again. They it's do. the same old thing. It's either words or it's fists or it's, I mean, it's just the same thing. <laughs> and, but you want to be a proactive parent instead of a reactive parent in those situations where you're, you have a plan, you know what's going to happen, you have a plan for when it does, and you're not just throwing something out there because I am totally guilty of that. Oh yeah. Yeah, I am too. And I think that's important. I'd like to camp there just for a second because I find that when my kids start doing or behaving that way, it sets off, like I immediately feel my blood pressure start to rise, you know, like sometimes there've been seasons where it's happened so often, like multiple times a day, um, that I, I go from zero to 100 in such a short time that it's difficult for me to control 
the way I'm handling them because I just want it to stop. Like it just needs to stop. So what would be, this is kind of an extra bonus that we're throwing in. What would be your recommendation for moms like that, that things are really a struggle right now in their homes. And part of that is their reaction. Part of what's maybe making it worse or not making it better is that they're having trouble controlling their reaction. What can they do in that situation? Um, You know, when I was just a really new parent, um, some very wise, gotta love those wise Titus II women said to me, you do not have to react to your children every time something happens. You can walk away and you need to practice that very early on. And I did. But that's always my first response. If I know, and you know, for any grand lovers, I'm an eight, so anger is my go-to. And so I know when the blood pressure is rising, I will walk out of the room. You don't have to handle the situation in that exact second. You can walk out of the room. You can count to 10. You can pray. You know, you can collect yourself and then you can walk back into the room and handle the situation. But usually what we think is, oh, they're about to kill each other and I need to handle it right now. But that's not really true. They're not about to kill each other. I mean, you're still probably quite some time from that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so you can just walk out of the room for a minute, compose yourself, and then you can come back into the situation. And honestly, another tip that I give um, is not to play Judge Wapner all the time and get involved. Sometimes we need to just let them handle things and, and get it right in the moment. And later we might need to kind of guide a little bit on that. But if we start getting into this he said, she said stuff, like that's not a good idea. I always tell my kids, I, I will not hear that. I won't hear the he said, she said, because everyone is to blame. Everyone, because we all have a part in conflict. We can we can choose to walk away, even if another person is being completely ugly. Because the Bible says, "Live live peaceably," as it is up to you. Right? That means you got to do something to live peaceably. It doesn't just mean okay. Um, as long as they do this, we can be at peace. No, it means you do whatever you can do, which sometimes means I have to walk out of the room, even though this other person is totally blamed for this. And I can walk out of the room. And when I do that, I now have dissolved the conflict. And that's wonderful. Like, that's what we really want to be teaching our kids to do, rather than getting justice and going, you know, doing that self-serving thing. And sometimes it requires some maturity for our kids to be able to get that. Like, I know... I'm not sure I was fully, you know, understood that until I was a little older and more mature in my relationship with Christ. Like our kids don't get that vengeance is is the Lord's. They don't necessarily, you know, they just want to be right. They want to be heard. They want to, um, they want to take up for themselves and, and walking away can feel like losing to them. But if we can give them that perspective that, you know, sometimes it takes the stronger person to walk away, that, that walking away is not a weakness, it's a strength. And, and that, you know, our heart's desire should be to honor God, not to win at a battle or not to, you know, not to prove ourselves or get back at someone. We can help them develop that. And it really starts with us and our ability to walk away instead of engage. Um, so, yeah, we part of what we, I think, need to pray for for our kids is that they would, that God would grow them in this, that we would be able to model it, but that they would be grown in the Lord and in their maturity so that they can begin to see those things as valuable. 
So that's a great segue to it what is. I think is the most important thing that you can do. Um, if you do nothing else, the most important thing that you can do to help the sibling relationships in your home is to teach them what God has to say. Yeah. And that's something that we, we have to do continually, but it's something we have to do intentionally. And it's something we need to be, con, con, you know, working on it, not when they're really angry with each other and they're in a big fight or whatever, but all the time. And, um, so let me tell you a few, a few of the things that I think are really important to teach them regarding siblings. Um, the first one is actually Proverbs seventeen seventeen, which is my favorite verse in the whole Bible, um, has been since I was a little girl because it starts with a friend loves at all times, which I just love. So I've always loved that, but there's a second part to the verse, which most of us kind of gloss over, which says, but a brother is born for adversity. And I love this for two reasons. One um, it reminds us that there is a, a such thing as a friendship. And a lot of times we say we want our siblings to be best friends. And I say, no, we don't want that. Actually, what we want is what God wants. And that's the second part of the verse, which is a brother is born for adversity, which means your brother has your back. Your brother and sister, their job is to be there for you. They'll always be there for you. Friends come and go. They're based on commonalities and likenesses and things like that. Siblings are not. Siblings can be polar opposites. Siblings can be the people who drive you the most crazy, but they're the people that God has put in your life to have your back when you have a problem and when you go through hard things and, you know, all of those things. And we see this over and over in the Bible, you know, Miriam who watched, you know, Moses float down the Nile and, and Aaron who spoke for Moses and Joseph who saves his whole family. I mean, we could go on and on, but that's, that's the design that God has for sibling relationships. And we want to be teaching our kids that above all else. And the next one would be um, Psalm one thirty nine fourteen. You are wonderfully made. And by the way, if you're wonderfully made in God's image, guess what that means about your sibling? They are too. And if you start insulting your sibling, you're insulting the creation that God has made. Like, how can you do that? That's horrible. You don't want to be insulting the Lord, do you? And, you know, those are the kinds of things that we, you know, kids don't think of that on their own. We have to help them. We have to teach them. We have to get them in the word and open it up and show them, look at what this says. You know, look at how, you know, God wants you to treat your siblings and not just um, tell them. That's, I, I'm really big on that. You got, you got to open the Bible and show them the verse so that they can see this is God's words because sometimes mom's words don't matter. And especially as they get into those teen years, they're hearing all these other voices. They need something to back up mom's words or dad's words. They need God's words. And so we want to open that book and just show them this is God's plan for sibling relationships. And again, don't do this when everybody's mad at each other. This is not the time. The Bible is not meant for that. And, you know, we got we to be calm and we have to get everything back together. And then we're going to talk about you know, okay, well, what can we do next time? When you said just a few minutes ago, sometimes they just don't even see that they could walk away in the moment. In that moment, they may not walk away. It may get worse, but you can look at the situation in retrospect and say, what would have happened if you had just walked away when you were in there and your sister was playing, this happens in my house a lot, your sister was playing piano loudly and you were in there first trying to read a book, you know, could you have just gone somewhere else? What would have happened if you did? And then when they're like, well, the whole thing would have been over. Exactly. It's not right. I'm not saying she did the right thing. She shouldn't have done that, but 
you could have dissolved the whole thing <laughs> and your life would be so much more peaceable, right? So those are the kinds of things that we really want to be getting, you know, conversations that we really want to be having with them and getting them in that regular conversation. You mentioned my brother's keeper that I wrote, and it was for this exact reason, because I knew that I could tell my kids all day long, and I could say all kinds of things, and I could do all kinds of things, but God's words were the ones that were going to matter. And if it was really going to be something that was going to stick with them for life, they were going to have to hear what God had to say about it. And that's really, you know, the foundation that they needed. So I wanted them in the word finding that. And then people always ask, how, how um, often do you do that? Every year we go through that Bible study. My kids have done it like six times now. <laughs> and you know, they get older, they see different things. It's the same content. I haven't changed a word in it. But they need that reminder constantly to be building each other up and that they were born to have each other's back and, you know, that they were wonderfully made and all of those things that are, you know, in the study. So, yeah, I'm thinking, you know, of another verse where it talks about love covers a multitude of sins, you know, like if we could teach our kids to, um, to just choose to love, to, to let that sin just sit there. Yeah, maybe they've been sinned against, but that doesn't mean every time we're sinned against doesn't mean we have to take offense. Every time, you know, every time our brother or sister does something wrong, it doesn't mean that they have to be corrected. Sometimes we can just let love cover that. And I love that you've talked about how um, we've got to use the word of God. We've got to teach them not just what we say, but what God says, because his is the final authority. Really, you know, if we can teach them to value God's word and God's authority, then these heart issues can be corrected by the power of the word of God that's living and active and changes the heart. So let's talk about another part of the word of God. There's a story in Mark 9 about a time when the disciples were trying to cast out demons in Jesus' name, but they weren't able to do it. Um, and then they came to Jesus and they told him that they had failed. And his reply to them in verse 29 was, this cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So, okay, I am first of all not trying to imply that our kids are running around with little demons inside of them. It may seem that way occasionally, <laughs> but that's not necessarily what I'm trying to imply. I do believe that this passage stresses the importance of prayer. So as we've said before here on the show many, many times, we believe that prayer is the most important, but maybe most overlooked part of Christian parenting today. So tell us, what are some things that parents can be praying for their children as they're seeking to build relationship between them? So definitely Proverbs seventeen seventeen that I already mentioned, um, and Psalm one thirty nine fourteen. Those are two that are on my list in my sibling category. Mm -hmm. uh, but the third, the third one that I'll share is Hebrews ten twenty four, um, which talks about stirring up one another to love and good works. It's one of my favorite verses, and this is what I pray over my kids a lot, and especially right now because as my kids get older. This is what I want them to be doing. Like, I just imagine them, you know, baking cookies and, and stirring up. And that's how I explain it. Like, you're stirring up the cookies and you're getting all of that goodness in there. And what comes out is something amazing. But all the little pieces in, in you know, when you're making that, you don't want to eat the cookie dough until it's all stirred up. Like, you just don't eat that stuff. It's gross on its own. And so that's that's the picture that I feel like this is creating, that our kids, they're going to be stirring up each other towards those good 
good, you know, things, the, the love and the good works. And I just, one of my favorites. Well, you just like answered my last question too, because we always like to wrap up the show with knowing what our guests are praying for their children. We just like to think beyond our own circumstances and see, you know, what others are praying that maybe we have missed and, and might consider. So I love that idea that you're thinking of always praying for them to be building each other up and, and, and helping stir up those good things in them. Beyond that, is there anything else that you're currently praying for, um, for the heart of your children? Maybe even one specific child, like Brooke and I have talked a lot about praying for going off to high school and dealing with teenagers and, you know, yada, yada, yada. Is there anything else that specifically for one child or for all of them that you're praying right now in this season? Yeah. Well, in this season of life, I have a junior in high school, so she is preparing herself for college and um, for what God, you know, has for her. So we've had so many conversations and, and, and prayer times really for that. And just for her to hear, clearly hear God's voice and know what direction, you know, he wants her to go in. She is, she would really like to go to college and get her MRS degree, you know, <laughs> she doesn't really want to do anything else. She wants to be a mama. And I love that. I love that. But, you know, it, she has to make decisions now because, you know, the MR hasn't been met yet. <laughs> so, so it's, it's fun. It's a fun stage to be in. I just, I think it's really fun to be, you know, where she's thinking about these things and she's, you know, just wanting to know what God has for her life. And, you know, so I would say that's probably the thing I pray about the most right now. And, and I, her, her sister's on our heels. So they're both really almost in that, that stage where they, they, they have to start making some of those big life decisions and, you know, for God to just guide them and for them to know what it is that he has for them, you know, which path to take. And those, those decisions, I know you remember them. They're so hard. There's so many, so many pieces. You'll have to be, you'll have to listen in. We just did a podcast. One of our podcasts is about launching your children well. And that, I mean, we don't want to admit how close that is, but it was good stuff about thinking about those things, about how to send them off well and how to handle everything once they are off and, and all that relationship stuff. So you are right, right on the cusp of that. That's great. Um, so, it's just exactly what they say. It comes so much faster than you think. <laughs> yes, it does. It does. Yes. And they like to remind me of how fast it's coming. And I'm like, just hold on there. Slow down. <laughs> All right. Well, Kim, thank you so much for joining us today. Tell our listeners where they can learn more about you and stay connected with you. Um, you can go to notconsumed.com. This is where we um, love helping families grow in faith, and um, we'd love to connect with you there. All right. And how about on social media? Is it, do you have a favorite? Is there somewhere you like to hang out? Well, um, I'm really working on Instagram right now, so it's just at notconsumed over there. So we'd right. love to connect with you over there. That, that is my personal favorite. And we're having lots of fun on Instagram with Million Praying Moms as well. So just go hang out on Instagram with all of us. It's super fun, all right? <laughs> that, that is it for today, friends. As always, you can find any specifics from our show, including how to get a hold of Kim and where to find all of her resources, including her book, My Brother's Keeper, Learning to Love Your Siblings God's Way, 
in our show notes at millionprayingmoms.com. Tune in next week for another episode of the Million Praying Moms podcast. Hey there, it's Nicole Eunice from the How to Study the Bible podcast, and I'd love to invite you to join us as we weekly discover a passage of God's Word together. From beginning to end, from principles to practicals, we are here to make sure that God's Word is powerful and relevant to your life. If that sounds like something you're looking for, I would love to invite you to subscribe. You can go to lifeaudio.com and search How to Study the Bible, and we'll see you there.